Thank you very much. So today we're joined by Jenny Holland. We're so happy to have you, Jenny. I really you. enjoy your Substack. I really, really enjoy your writing so much. You're Thank you're you. like right on the money. So off. I mean, every time I read your stuff, I'm like, yes. So much um, appreciated. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you. And Jody wanted to talk about something that you posted recently. So I'll just um, let Jody take that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Jenny's Substacks are always very thought provoking. <laughs> There's a lot of analysis, which of course we don't get a lot on mainstream media, which I appreciate. And this particular Substack um, is called a very important tweet that you all must read. <laughs> which links together trans ideology, queer theory, critical race theory, and finally critical theory itself. Even Billy Bragg approves. And so I'm going to share the tweet that Billy Bragg retweeted, which I assume, Jenny, is how you saw yes. it. Um, okay, yeah. so, and it was retweeted by Emma Harriet Nicholson. And the original tweet is from Fletcher S. Audi or Odd. And odd. I'm gonna, odd. I'm going to share it now so we can. Um, read it. So the original tweet is if trans falls, and I assume what Fletcher means is if the trans ideology or gender ideology yeah. falls, that means queer theory falls. If queer theory falls, then critical race theory falls. And if critical race theory falls, then all of critical theory falls. They're all set up in a row. All it takes is the force of about 65 plus percent of a population finally fed up enough. So Jenny, I'm just wondering if you can like walk us yeah. through what that means, like, cause you seem to, to agree. Yes. I and um, I think the, the first really interesting thing about that tweet is that uh, Billy Bragg retweeted the retweet of it. And he commented on it um, that this is why he will always stand by trans ideology, no matter what. Um, and that really was one of those moments that really stopped me in my tracks because you know, you, you always, we always, everyone who's sort of critical of woke ideology writ large, we always have this sense that we, we understand what's going on, but it's so confounding and confusing and demoralizing sort of on a daily basis that when you stumble across something that you find particularly succinct or illuminating, you really, it's, it's like, it's like a breath of fresh air or a glass of water for someone in the desert. And Billy Bragg retweeting this um, as evidence as to why he will remain an ideologue in this category was one of those breath of fresh air moments because it explains why this otherwise really, uh, really kind of far out of left field ideology is, has so many rev, like there's so many fierce adherence to it because it's not really about the specific trans people who are living this experience and their rights or lack thereof. It's not really about that ultimately. For a large number of informed people, ideologically informed people, they can't let it fail because to let the one lie fail, it means all the other lies will go in a domino. And that can't oh, wait, happen. Jenny, Jenny, just to be clear, uh, Billy Bragg agrees with this because he wants trans idea. He, yes. Yeah. That's would you give why, a yes. little context for who he is? I don't know yeah, who he sure. is or so what his. Billy, yeah. Billy Bragg was a really famous UK and David, you can ch chime in here. You might even know more than me. Um, he's a famous uh, UK English singer songwriter. And he was really big in the 80s. And he was a big sort of lefty trade union guy. 
Um, and I was I was sort of a fan of his up until this all happened. He the the, the biggest thing he did in America was he did a, um, a a collection of Woody Guthrie songs with Wilco in the late '90s, early 2000s, Mermaid Avenue. So he's always had this sort of like man of the people vibe. And, um, you know, he's not hugely famous, but he's very, very well known in left wing and kind of artsy, liberal, intellectual circles in the UK and also, I think, in the States. So the, the actual quote that his quote tweet to me wasn't clear to me. Was he supportive of the original tweet as in? Yes, exactly. That's why we support the trans ideology or if he was using it as a sign of like, okay, or, you know, or if he was requoting it negatively and saying, this is what we risk losing if we don't support trans ideology. Either way, it doesn't really matter what his intent, his intent was. Either way, the, 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 the underlying message was very clear and it was clear to Billy Bragg and to me. I just wasn't sure, did he say that was a good thing or a bad thing as, as pertains to the tweet? But, um, but yeah, I think the, the thing that all those things have in common is that they fundamentally ask us to turn off our innate sense of fairness and unlearn all of our common sense and un uh, and reject um, the evidence of our eyes and ears, uh, and we have to we have to destroy that so that we can accept this ideology, and that's why they're all linked, and that's why the, the trans one to me is like the marquee um, of, of the marquee ideology because it's the most radical in the sense that it's asking us to accept the destruction of our physical and, and emotional identity, i.e. whether we're male or female. I, I don't really want to use the word gender identity, but um, our sexed identity, whether we're male or female. So and so if, if, if that can be accomplished, if we can destabilize or, or get people to not believe that that's real, that there is such a thing as male, male or female, then that now we've we've broken them down enough so that they yes. can accept all of these other ideologies. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I think I said in my Substack as well. I think that the trans ideology is the most um, dangerous. I think because everyone is either male or female, so everyone on this planet is has a sexed identity, and um, and it's a foundational. It's, a, it's, it's, it's our core and our foundation of our, our sense of ourself. Like one of the first things we learn when we're babies is the difference between a male and a female, a boy and a girl, a man and a woman, a mom and a dad. Um, and if we can erode that and if we can destroy that and if we can destabilize that, then that's a win for the ideologues and a loss for those of us who still believe in, in humankind. And reality. <laughs> and reality. Yeah that's that's very interesting i remember thinking that like that like of male and female like that's the original other and you always yes. have that, that other no matter what tribe what culture what society you belong to you could live in a completely homogenous very insular society where everyone's the same color everyone's the same religion everyone is the same economy everything but you still have that other and if we could so exploiting that you mentioned something about globalism like if we can exploit that in people then you basically have the whole world if you're able to successfully right. do that um and i love the term you used prosperity guilt yeah <laughs> jenny's great for coining terms <laughs> that, that countries that suffer from prosperity guilt like western nations western europe united states canada um they're not they're there we are easily um 
the CRT stuff is easy to get in the racial stuff, but like, um, it's a lot harder in countries that, you know, maybe are more homogenous and actually have real problems. Like they yeah. don't have running water or, you know, yeah. can't grow food or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Like the things they'll have male and female stuff, like other. Yeah. Well, it's the original yeah, I mean, other, like you say, and it's also the if, if you think in terms of like perceptual heuristics and the way that our brains categorize things, it's the fundamental way that binary. we perceive reality. It's the very first one we perceive is, is that when we, when we see another person, we can't help it. It's automatic. We observe their, are they male or female? And then we start to right. put them into different categories and it's just this almost subconscious. Well, it is kind of a subconscious process for us. Yeah. And so if you can undermine that and make people question that, original heuristic that original perception then where yeah what can you not if make you, people if question? you can if you can violate that boundary of what what is a mother and what is a father mm -hmm. then you can violate every other boundary going forward there's mm -hmm. no i think that's such a psychic violation to try and 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 convince us to try and hoodwink little kids that not all not uh, all women or not all mothers are women um and these linguistic tricks, these bad faith, sophist uh, arguments, um, like those, those are not just sort of politically threatening or um, morally threatening. I think they're, they're deep emotional and psychic transgressions in a way that we need to take a lot more seriously. I, they're, they're, a fundament, they're a foundational threat to me. Like if you can't call a woman a mother um, or if you can't call a mother a woman, uh, then you're really talking about, you know, an, an ex ex existential erasure. That's bad for the adult woman in question, obviously, and all women in question, whether they're mothers or not. But it's a, just think of it from a child's perspective and how frightening and how alienating and how destabilizing that would be if you're living in a class, if you're living in a school, in a world of school and, and society at large telling you that this is, that what you, what you need, like the, the connection that you need and the, 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 the bond that you automatically feel is actually not exactly what you think it is, which is a mother to a child. It's something more complicated and more inscrutable. And you're, 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 you're being made to, you're, you're sensing this pressure to accept that when you really fundamentally are like, wait, I'm a baby, but I still know that this is my goddamn mother, not birthing person. <laughs> like interchangeable birthing person. It almost makes yeah. people like interchangeable. And it makes me wonder what else what else that does besides just like obviously you can branch out and apply that to race and other categories of other i mean even night and day right that's in the bible yeah right god created yeah. night and day. i mean this the conscious and the unconscious i mean there's all kinds of ways that we think that are set up in in binaries and if we can cause some ambivalence there like just how i don't think we can even comprehend how destabilizing that might be to a person's psyche right well is the and, is the object to be destabilizing or is it an attack on 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 human reproduction what is the what is it is it both it's both i would say mm -hmm. um i i mean i james Lindsay. i think Jay, that, that that quote that i that i was so impressed by i think it's sort of like taken out of james Lindsay's playbook i mean he, he talks a lot about this um and extremely well and much better than i could ever do because uh, he's actually slogged through all these texts that I these big long heavy books that I find completely unreadable and undigestible, and he's done that work. But um, but it is it is both, and I don't know how to separate them actually because I think 
you know, the way family formation and the way we partner and the way we reproduce um, is very tied to stability. <laughs> so, you know, doing it willy nilly and just saying, oh, you know, we can just hatch in pods and blah, blah, blah. Like that's actually like, that's like a psychic rupture that, you know, if you're being flippant about it, then you're either very, very unwise and you're very naive or you're very malevolent. I don't, you know, and who knows what, you know, I, I don't know how the forces that are right against us, how do they divvy up between malevolent and naive? I genuinely don't know. That's a question I ask myself a lot. Yeah, that pod reproduction, that's really interesting. I just got, and I've, I've been corresponding with a parent who sent me some K through K through one sex education materials from their child's school that include a song about how reproduction is about a sperm and egg and a uterus, and it doesn't matter in what combination those came to be. And it's this song for kindergartners about sperms, eggs, and uteruses. And it's so, it's like it divorces anything human or spiritual or, or sacred from the act of reproduction. And it's just about body parts. How I, long has have K through one first grade been giving, been given biological and reproductive? <laughs> I know, I know. I'm going to talk to this, this parent yeah. um, in uh, hopefully, hopefully in the next couple of weeks and do, because this, this person is much more familiar with this curriculum and can walk me through how messed up it is but just from what i've seen a little bit of it's really it's really strange it's really inappropriate on so many levels it just, what is what does that mean anymore inappropriate but <laughs> yeah jennifer yeah. sorry it it just amazes me how people are willing to sacrifice children yes to get to whatever bizarre point they're trying to get to and i'm not sure if they have a very clear vision um, for how they want yeah. the world to be. But it, I mean, it seems to me that, you know, to queer things means to totally break down boundaries and break down any sense of there's one unifying reality. Um, but the fact that they can sacrifice kids' well-being and potentially damage them for life just strikes me as the absolute height of evil. Yeah. It is. It's it's very dark and disconcerting when you realize it, isn't it? It's it's very um, it's astounding, and I, it never stops shocking me. It never stops shocking me, and I think I actually said that in that Substack. No matter how many times, I mean, I I spend a lot of time online, and I see a lot of these libs of TikTok reels or videos, and a lot of a lot of this content comes through my eyeballs, and it still shocks me. And that's the that's the, because that's really what it boils down to, is that people. This is my opinion. And, People, adults, would rather, denial is the most powerful force that exists in human nature, um, the sense that your ability to deny reality and to delude yourself, and more important than your love, the love of your child is the acceptance of the in-group. Like everything is more, everything, the most important thing is the acceptance of the in-group and gaining the validation of your peers, and it turns out a lot, a lot, a lot of people are willing to override their their own pro, their own common sense and uh, sacrifice their children's well being to maintain their status in an in group. That's what it seems to me. What do you guys think? Yeah, I can't help but think you're probably right there. I mean, it's. I was thinking as you guys were talking about like this, the the way that people have almost a pathological obsession with equity that it means that we need to flatten all categories. It made it made me think of like you know all these conversations we have about chat GBT and what happens if you ask a, an AI to like 
I don't know, like create as many paper clips as they possibly can, and, and the AI will just basically tear the whole system down, the whole of the earth down to make as many paper clips as possible. This feels like a malfunction of the brain of just kind of going forward relentlessly towards equity, flattening every everything as you can because everyone just thinks that's the best thing to do. But I think you're right. It's got to be. It's got to be around the fact that I'm I'm looking after the child, but <laughs> for these people, it's like but I want I want to be doing so in a way that's. Being t- I'm being reinforced by my group that it's, I'm doing it in the right way. And that that overrides, yeah, any sort of what you think is an instinct for looking after and protecting your child. Well, that this is not a new thing, right? We've seen this children being sacrificed in many ways. Jenny, Jenny, we're just talking about Ireland and Northern Ireland, <laughs> the Catholic Church. We won't get into that, but, <laughs> but it, it, it like if they're the point about is it malevolence or is it naivete right it seems like i'm thinking about this need to be in the in group and this the whole you know i'm liberals like a lot of liberal people i see in my area wanting to fit and and you know declaring their children as trans when the child is like four or five years old and and starting them on that path and then and then posting it on Facebook like it's like as an advertisement for look how good I am and look how liberal I am and how so that that feels like naivete to me um Mm -hmm. and it feels like if there is malevolence right if there's a cabal or, or some central authority pushing this from on high that they they're very they very well know that that's what human beings do and they're that's what's being exploited so it seems like both forces are in play right this malevolence yeah. the question is for what right so then we come into reproduction like is it then this is why i get you know conspiracy i, I need a t-shirt that says conspiracy theorists <laughs> <laughs> like this is the question like are we because it seems like to me there's there's other forces too there's all kinds of things that are pushing on us to not reproduce or 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 in my case when I, th- I think about sex a lot to not have sex like making it more difficult for us to connect sexually with each other and this breaking down of by bi- i mean if you have surgery to remove your genitals and and cannot orgasm and cannot reproduce like it just feels like and you're messing with your hormones like i don't know i don't i haven't talked to a lot of trans people and what their sex life is like but I have heard a lot of trans people say they 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 don't do not have orgasms. So I mean, what is the how is the for males the orgasms necessary, right, to reproduce? Like, and you need to have the actual equipment. So it it feels like there people are reproducing less. We know that we have statistics. People are having at least in Western nations less children. Um, millennials, I read somewhere, they're having a lot less sex according to these surveys than mm. Gen X is. So is is that the goal, like to get us to not reproduce or to get us to not connect with each other? It, it does feel like we have this scalpel coming in and, and cutting out the very parts of us that make us most most human and, and most our ability to connect. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know. I, I don't I don't I wish I knew what the goal was. I mean, Agendas. I think. I mean, I think there, yeah, what the agenda is, I think there are definitely people who have a lot of power and a lot of um, influence who think the world is overpopulated. So, you know, I know I'm very familiar with the conspiracy theory of depopulation and whatnot. Um, and that certain, this would certainly suit that agenda. Um, but I also think that, because going back to the tweet anyway, 
it, it, it originates in critical theory. And I have to admit, I, I actually had to Google what critical theory was because I studied it in university, but that was 25 years ago. And uh, I was like, oh yeah, now I remember. And it's basic, critical theory is basically like the subversion of everything. I mean, that, that's the most sort of simple way of putting it. It's, it's like the Frankfurt School, um, neo-Marxist, James, again, I refer everyone back to James Lindsay because he's a much, he does a much better job with this than I ever will. But it, it's really, it's, it's break everything old. That's, that's my take on it. Break everything old, destroy the past, destroy our connection with the past, and we're going to make up a whole new set of rules. And, you know, I don't like that idea at all. I, in fact, am very hostile to it. I think I've always been pretty hostile to it. I've always been suspicious of it. Um, so and it, this falls in with that as well. And it, it, considering how much of trans ideology is, is embraced by academia and it's sort of buttressed by a lot of faux intelligentsia, faux intellectual guff. Like it's, it doesn't merit the name, you know, it, do, it doesn't merit the name intel, intellectual work, but it's, it, there's, there's a lot of it out there. And there's sort of almost like a, it's a, I would say a cottage industry, but it's not small. It's a, it's a big production unit churning out content and papers and um, justifications for the trans ideology that's coming out of academia. So there's this sort of like humanity loathing, resentment filled, um, bitter uh, body of work coming that's that's been in the in the universities since the '60s, if not a little earlier. Um, and this is just one of its rotting flowers. Like this is just one of many, and it is very much like CRT in that regard. Um, it's based on this sort of resentment of natural fe femininity and a resentment of ma of, of traditional masculinity and it's just basic resentment you think it's also and the lie that you can change but yeah yeah that you can you think it's also a resentment of nature i'm just thinking about marxism right like the means of, the workers have owned the means of production it's like well it feels like we've been disenfranchised is the word from our own means of production for quite like this heavy heavy regulation of farming or like home, I see like, especially home farming, like you can't have more than six chickens and you can't do this. And like this, like, and then birthing must happen in a hospital and medicalizing it and then death, the, like taking away these and processes that human beings have been doing for since humanity existed, right? Since we, we stood up, like we've yeah. been doing this stuff forever. We know we, we die, we're born we reproduce and now it feels like this is the ultimate like taking away if we can remove and make it just an egg and a sperm in some artificial womb now and regulate literally regulate reproduction like this is not something you're allowed to do at home on your own folks like we the bureaucracy needs to be involved in this the, the most okay. intimate realm right so if we can destroy the need for intimacy or the drive for intimacy that we can easily like say okay you guys can't reproduce on your own like we have licensed professionals that know how to do that. You come and you get your yeah. all your equipment removed right. and put into a laboratory and right. we will do it and you can order your child on Amazon. Like, I know that sounds extreme, but it feels like this is a trend that's been going on for a long time. Um, and now this is like the ultimate, if we can remove the ability to create your own family. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. It's so interesting how this is like, there's this... Um, 
Well, there's been this drive to make sex recreational for a long time now. Mm -hmm. We know the birth control pill and the sexual revolution and the and this this whole hookup culture we've got now, which makes it very recreational and shames people for even what catching feelings, right? Getting having feelings about the person that they're um, that they're sexually engaged with or the people that they're sexually engaged with because we're supposed to be free with this now we're supposed to be um not hung up on on commitment that's that's shameful to think about commitment these things these trends in the zeitgeist that have just carried forward and then with it going online and we've got this only fans thing we've got this cam girls and pornography it's become not only not only recreational but also transactional and also yep. something that's done uh, you know, more and more, more uh, remotely and voyeuristically. So the sexual impulse is being channeled into something that's completely divorced yeah. from true intimacy with another person. And you can have intellectual connections, you can have emotional connections, but without that connection, how deeply are you ever bonded to another human being that you spend your life with? It's just a completely different totally. level quality of relationship. And so to me, I don't know about the, I mean, there's lots of conjecture about the agenda or why or, or who, or who's funding and what, for what purpose, or is this coming up organically or is it being pumped in? And we can talk about that because I think there's a lot to talk about there, but at the end of the day, to just call it what it is, it looks like a death cult to me. I mean, the whole it thing is. just looks like a death cult. It's anti-human and it's anti-human yeah. in so many different ways. It's a lot yeah, of it breakdown of the family too. And that's what totalitarian thinkers have always tried to do is to decimate the family. And um, when you were mentioning earlier, Jenny, about destroying and you know, smash anything that's old, that's what Maoism wanted to do. Yeah. And you always want to break apart the family because that's where people's heart really lies and where their true loyalties are and where they are people are willing to sacrifice and do just about anything for their kids and um their spouse and they don't want yeah. that to be the center of our focus they want us to i think be good comrades you know I, yeah. and i think that that type of messaging was pumped in in a really manipulative way about the covid vaccines kind of like you're only being a good citizen if you get this vaccine, like forget your individual health and your individual very reasonable concerns about this vaccine that was rushed through production. You have to do this, you know, or else you're killing all these people. Um, and I, I just think we're being geared more and more towards thinking collectively. Um, eat bugs because, you know, we don't want you having meat because you're just participating in ruining the environment all, <laughs> all of this and you know maybe you would like some uh, maybe you would like the idea of social credit maybe you would like a credit card that tracks your carbon footprint for you mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah if you think about it so uh, leslie what you were just saying about how we've been reconditioned to think of sex as recreational this has been going on for now two we're like the second generation of out of four right that's been taught to to think this way and and live our lives accordingly. Um, that's that's very like that that was what softened up the ground for this kind of the precipice of this this dystopia we're on because fundamentally, and also I mean and feminism as well, which constantly portrayed motherhood as a burden and a source of oppression, because fundamentally, name one thing in the world that one individual can do 
that is more powerful than give birth to a, another human being and raise that human being. What's more powerful than that? I, I interviewed a young woman last week, uh, a detransitioner, um, and she said, women are eternal because of their procreative ability. It's literally the most important thing in the world. It's the most important thing in the world. I don't care about nuclear weapons. I don't care about geopolitics. The woman's reproductive capability is the most powerful thing in the world. And then add on to that her sexual allure and her beauty, you know, whatever you determine beauty to be, her, her way, you know, the, the emotional, the emotional uh, feelings that it brings out in men and, and people around her. The, the, if you think about it through this lens, the woman is the most important creature on this earth. All of us, all of us, young uh, child, young women, middle-aged and old women. We're the most important creatures in the world. But what we've been taught from the left is our bodies are our sense, our, our, our source of oppression. Our bodies are a location of oppression. If we just, if we can just get out there into the world and play on the level playing field with a man, then we won't be oppressed. And then from the right, it's like, stay home and hide your body because your body is going to be, so your, your body is going to cause you to be attacked by beasts out there. Right. But actually what, <laughs> Neither have been neither have been completely honest. It was certainly not the left and and the right. Obviously, going back quite a ways was pretty pretty terrible. Um, and in recent years, has just been kind of trying to trying to sort of maintain this sort of sensible center. But no one has really told the truth, and that is there is certain there's something supreme about a woman, and women ourselves have failed to recognize that and failed to say it strongly enough. And I think at least as far as mainstream culture goes and mainstream media and film and music, it's always the sense of like, oh my God, being a woman is such a drag. It's such a pain in the ass. And if only I could, you know, if only I could just go and be a CEO or something as if being a CEO is more powerful than being a mother. It's not, it's just not, I'm just going to categorically reject that. It's not, even if you can fire people and hire people, even if you can lead countries, it's still not more important. Because the only people who remember you at the end of your life are your immediate family. No one else remembers you. Your legacy is never going to be um, a, 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 even if you're famous, your legacy isn't going to, it's not going to last more than the lifetime of the generation below you. It's a really, it's a really interesting um, framework. I really, uh, there's so much there. There's a lot, a lot there, Jenny. I think, um, the idea that that women have been taught to turn against their own reproductive capacity and look at it as a burden and and see themselves as being liberated from it in some way that that makes them a real person in the world right and that exactly is, it's really well, interesting and then and then on the other hand we have this sort of um, this sort of embattled uh, polarization between masculinity and femininity and yeah, and because they're both being lived out on this really superficial plane, and so you have the attack on like feminine reproduction and feminine uh, value and role from the left, from the progressives, and then on you've got this backlash against feminism from men who've been disenfranchised and told that they're toxic because they you know where do they fit into this, and so it, you know, and I I have this. I'm, I'm still confused about what I think about feminism, period. You know, I'm like, there's waves, there's different aspects, there's things that were good, there's things that sound really militant and strange. I don't have, I'm not like versed in feminist theory. 
um, but I, I do see this growing backlash against it that seems anti-woman from, from the right as well. This, this, do, yeah. am I making any sense here? Is that the Madonna whore thing kind of on a cultural level? Hmm. Maybe. Like the, the right, like women need to preserve themselves and, and stay yeah. locked up in the chastity belt. And then on the right, it's like, oh, go like right. party B on the left. By the way, which my, my friend Amelia pointed out, by the way, all brought to us by courtesy of Big Pharma in the form of the pill. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Cardi B in, in the form of plastic surgery. Although I, <laughs> I could, I, my, I, I claim that Cardi B is this generation's Lucille Ball. She's a comedian. She's brilliant, funny. She's a funny girl. Anyway. Okay. And that's uh, interesting. I do think her personality <laughs> seems nice, but some of the videos are like, whoa, sorry. They're awful. They're yeah. Awful, but her personality, I find it very charming. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I think, um, Oh, the, where, where, where conservatives lose me. I mean, I'm, I've basically become much more conservative, but I think most people do anyway, as they age and they become middle-aged and um, where, where they lose me is that they seem to, they give me the impression that they think that 150 years ago, um, women were at home and it was wonderful and glorious and everyone was happy and um, it was so much better for women and it was so much better for children. It was so much better for everyone. Um, and that's, I think that's simplistic. Uh, I think it's also not true. I think women have always worked to some degree or another, unless they were, um, you know, very high middle class and aristocratic. Um, so it's there's it's hugely class dependent, and um, you know, women having independence and financial independence is just not, I don't understand how that would ever be a bad thing. But um, but the I think the real to me the real toxicity has come from the left feminism, and again, I'm not I you know, I'm not that versed in the different, um, scholarly, you know, modes, but I think that I, the one thing I will say about feminism that is positive is that it's the TERFs, the trans exclusionary radical feminists, who I think were the first to recognize the danger of the trans ideology, uh, specifically toward women. Um, and that's, and they've been fighting that and they've been suffering, they've been punished socially exiled and, threatened and really like treated terribly um, for that, for their radical feminist views. Um, and other than that, I don't have anything good to say about feminism. <laughs> well, what about women being able to vote? I mean, second wave feminism, right? I'm no feminist scholar, but yeah. it seems like- Yes, feminism, I think that's first wave. Or is that first wave? Yeah. Okay, so like the right to vote, the right to own property, the right to keep your children yes. if you divorce, yes. like, like all yes. those things. It feels like CRT, it's a similar, it's like this lib fem feminism or, or uh, internet feminism, people call it like, yeah. is kind of all the concepts are, it's like feminism was arose out of very real material yeah. needs and wants, which were one, right? Like we, we got the vote, we got property, the ability to be financially independent. And the same thing with uh, this notion of, uh, of the CRT stuff is based on like, you know, actual racism, like redlining and Jim Crow laws, like that uh, black people fought for and won. These are very material things. They're both based on very material things. And now they've morphed into these very vague, 
it's like we're still exploit we're still exploiting that old stuff that doesn't yeah i don't think they were i don't think it morphed i think they were hijacked i don't think it was morphed i think it was hijacked because it wasn't an organic uh it's i i maintain and there's plenty of other people who who speak about this and study it closely it's not an organic movement either in any the crt is not organic trans is not organic it's it's what 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 it, it's it's the coming together of the the malevolent and the naive like you you've said before jody it's like there's a lot of people who were brought up to kind of idealize and deify the civil rights struggles and the bra burning and the woodstock generation and all the, the anti-vietnam war protests <clears throat> and we looked up to that as like oh wouldn't it wasn't that brave and great and wouldn't it have been cool to be alive in that time and you know Gen X is that sort of like dip. It, there was, it was like a, a hiatus between the baby boomers and the millennials where we, we were sort of like, oh, that sounded like the 68 revol student revolutions and everything. They sounded pretty cool. I bet that would have been exciting to live through. And as time went on, it was like, oh, they need, there's no more causes left. So people became essentially more desperate to cosplay. Them. No, it's gratuitous and activism. It's yeah. gratuitous activism and it's cosplay. And mm -hmm. that, that mixed with this, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, neo-Marxist globalism that needs a, uh, a vehicle for control. Mm -hmm. And the two have met. Oh, that's a really brilliant observation. That's really interesting. I, I remember just being so stunned by the fact that in graduate school, we were taught to be activists, but we weren't really taught what we were supposed to be activists about. But, you know, you're a counselor, but your first job <laughs> is to be an activist. And then it's an activist for social justice. But what does that mean? Because there's so many different things that that could mean. So you're just being primed to be the delivery vehicle for the next thing that's being pushed. Yeah, you're, you're shock troops. You're mm, shock troops. Yeah, you're yeah. you're neo-Maoist shock troops. I mean, it, it's, it's. I heard this crazy thing and uh, today, it, Riley Gaines, the swimmer who swam against um, Leah Thomas, William Thomas. And she did an interview with Jordan Peterson and she said that Leah Thomas's teammates at the University of Pennsylvania, um, when they became uh, upset, I suppose, at having to sh to strip in front of him, and he was stripping in front of them, and they were in in the in the chain in the locker rooms, um, they were forced to get naked with him. Good grief! Um, they Sorry. were mandated to go to the counseling service at the university to discuss their bigotry and transphobia. I remember reading about that. They had a psychology team there that was linked to it, and they said, you have to go speak to them. Do not go out and speak to anyone else about your bigoted views, yes. because it will not end well for you. It was a threat, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, the, the, I've never... Oh, my God. That's so psychologically I've, abusive. It's so psychologically abusive. It's, it's rape with words. Yeah. It's sexual assault with words. Well, it's and you're being molested. People. Now let's get you comfortable with your molester. Let's get yeah. you comfortable. That's the same I mean, thing with all this race stuff too, though. Yeah, like is. let's get you comfortable with right. being That's called a bigot, with being told exactly. That's what I went through at work with being told that you're a white supremacist, and if you have any objection whatsoever, that is further evidence of how utterly terrible you are. I mean, yeah. it yeah. is so mentally abusive. It's total. It's a total Kafka trap, and it's like. Somebody, um, somebody described all of this stuff, the critical social justice stuff and it being pushed as sort of a form of mind rate. And I fully agree. I think it's incredibly abusive and sick. So now imagine that, I mean, we're adults, right? When I went through at Smith, I was 
in my four, late 40s, right? So, I mean, and even I, we, we've already got one tier of like the social pressure, like you've got the social pressure. And if you bust through that and you're like, no, I'm not going to participate. Now it's like, okay, now you need to go to see a counselor or now we're going to get into individually and make you comply, right? Imagine that pressure on a kindergartner. Somebody who's literally their brain, all of their psyche is just forming. Well, and that goes back to what Jenny was saying earlier when, when we started this conversation about how it just, it like you, this is one of your foundational understandings, this paradigm of, of sex. So uh, male, female. And when somebody tries to interrupt that, it feels really wrong and it makes you, it's very destabilizing. But if you get people young enough, can you interrupt that so early that you've taught them just not to ever, not to develop that sort of intuition and develop that, that foundation? Do you think you can, Leslie? <laughs> I mean, it seems like it, it does seem like there are some differences. I, one of my observations that I, when I was going through graduate school was that the people who were younger than me, because I went back to school at around 40 and um, a lot of the people I was in school with were in, in their twenties. They seem to absorb this stuff so much more easily because they've been groomed into it. And so I don't know if you can really disrupt. I don't know what it feels like on the inside to them, where their cognitive dissonance lies, if it lies anywhere. But I do know that it looks like they are, the uptake is easier. It, it makes sense, right? If we look at child development and how the brain forms and like acquisition of language, that there are certain time periods where well, and, and learned <laughs> helplessness too. the studies on learned helplessness and that you tell somebody something over and over you do something to someone over and over they're going to they're not going to develop the ability to push back against it that will be that's stunted. why sorry that's why it really is a form of grooming you're grooming a, a ch children to have you know no boundaries not to have even very basic boundaries where they don't know what a male is or a female is, um, to not have sexual boundaries, to not have um, boundaries around um, truth and reality, all this postmodern thought that there's no, you know, there's no truth, there's no reality. Well, if, if you're teaching people that, then you can insert ideas into their heads <laughs> their heads are very confused and vaccinations you can assert things into yeah. their body like the body is literally the boundary between us and like my body is me and then everything else is not me and it, right you know my body belongs to is part of this collective collective yeah, yeah. You can do whatever you want you can farm it you can inject things into it for the sake of the collective the violation, it really is quite parallel, isn't it? I mean, we've got a violation of the mind. You're not allowed to have your own thoughts. We've got a violation of the body going on at the same time where you're you're not entitled to your own physical autonomy. Yeah. I think though, you know, the question of can people um, overcome it if they've been brought up in this world? And I, I think certainly some can. And I think that we're now seeing um, people come of age who were brought up in a, in a sort of trans CRT um, up is down, down is up world. And uh, there's, I mean, I, two notable um, questioner, questioners, I would say one is Jazz Jennings famously uh, is obviously starting to uh, 
question um, the horrible, horrible, horrible things that were done to him by his mother and say things like, I just don't feel like myself. I just want to feel like myself. I mean, he's, well, he's not a boy. He's a young man. He's, I mean, he's obviously in, in such a dark place. He has to, I mean, I think for his own sake, he needs to maintain the connection to a female identity. Otherwise the horror will be too much. Um, but in a much less well-known example, like this woman I spoke to last week is a detransitioner um, who snapped out of it. You know, the, it was like a sort of a process of the, of things falling away as she got a little bit older, not before she uh, sterilized herself, um, which she said she did out of white guilt. She said she was happy to sterilize herself oh because she oh. said, and it's in my Substack uh, this week. If I strongly suggest you listen to it. She said, I went into surgery thinking, wow, one less white devil. Oh, my I'm God. I'm ending my line of Ooh. white devil. Um, oh, heavens. Gone, yes, it's that bad. It's that bad. And, you know, she's gone full, you know, she's fully out of it now. And she's openly uh, trans critical, whatever you want to call it. She's using her name and, you know, she's, she's a very remarkable young woman and she's quite brilliant. And she says truly astounding things. Um, her name is Lee Jenna Marshall and she's on my last week's Substack. Um, but yeah, so I think, I, I think what happens with a lot of people is they absorb whatever they, whatever ideology or whatever mores, morality they live with as they are, when they're young and they can be very fervent in them even, especially in their teens. And then they hit their twenties and their thirties and they start to be like, well, actually, you know, mm -hmm. they mature, they mature. And mm -hmm. Going back to the tweet, the reason the CRT is connected to the trans is connected to critical theory, and the reason they all have to be um, taken as a whole is because they all force us to override our common sense and our basic humanity, and that's actually very hard to do. So we can't, they can't allow any little—they can't allow any little deviations or any dissent because that will might prick someone's ears up and be like, "Wait, that's you're right. This doesn't feel right." So. The, the overriding of the programming will work for a lot of people for a certain amount of time, but I don't think it can be done forever in perpetuity. I just don't. I just don't think we are built that way. People mature. They get better with age. They get wiser with age, even if, even if life has been terribly hard to them. Yeah, there's an arc to life and for people to be taught that it's okay to foreclose on future options for their ephemeral fancies of youth is, is quite malevolent it's i think it's borderline genocidal it's certainly eugenicist mm -hmm. it's we lost david so it looks like we lost david bless you jennifer too and <laughs> thank you maybe he'll pop back in i don't know if he had some screen problem or something and also as long as people have access it's, it's i think also why books are being edited and things are being mm -hmm. like we have access to other if people have access yeah. to other ideas outside their current what do you call it contemporary setting yeah they have access to carl jung for example or yes <laughs> you know, if, if we still have access to these things where we can start to think for ourselves and um gosh this ties into the psychedelics too doesn't it that we talked about oh yes actually it really does access because i watched that you watched it yeah i watched yeah, it like, and access you, to the <laughs> access to this like the the direct your direct access to the source or the spirit whatever that right. looks like as opposed to going through other authorities like this is right. 
we're basically trying to they're trying they whoever they're trying to circumvent our own yeah. authority and so as long as we have access to the means to do that which when you think about the soviet union like the black market like people always find a way well i think that's so important jody i think it's so important those things that still help us to cultivate our own unique thought and i think there's so many ways that that's being suppressed I think that expertism is a big part of that, referring yep. to somebody else who's thought about things for you and your thoughts are invalid unless they correspond to the appropriate authority or unless they're intellectual enough, they're not valid. You can't explore it's, you know, we're supposed to be ashamed of being um, ignorant instead of just being allowed to be curious and we should be allowed to be curious. And David, what do you think about all this? You have not, you've been observing a lot today. And not haven't heard much. He's yet. looking very. He's looking very pensive and intelligent. Yes, he is. <laughs> I'm sure he has a lot of original thoughts. No, I, 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 unfortunately, I dropped out just as you were saying, Jenny, about the the link between why I think why CRT and some of the other downstream ideologies fall when this happens. So I'm sorry I missed that. But I mean, I, I yeah, I, I I was thinking of um, uh, Lenin and the fact that Lenin used to say uh, his favorite phrase was bourgeois privilege, and he would. Anything, he would accuse anything of, of, of having bourgeois privilege that he wanted to control. It was just his way of getting power. So, you know, he was accused very early on, I think, like of, 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 of you know, you shouldn't be killing people who are disagreeing with your way of doing things. And he'd say, well, freedom of speech is a bourgeois privilege, you know, and I'll give them the freedom of speech once they, once we've ended, ended the Russian revolution. And then, and then we saw all these other things with, with Lenin where he, he, I think he was quite keen on taking children away to communes because, to prioritize your own child or to have love for your own child was something like a bourgeois privilege. Again, that's not something that you should have sort of a privilege to, to be able to almost to, to have the privilege of having. It's, it's just, it just sounds to me, it's just a power tool, isn't it? Um, and that, that, that bourgeois privilege thing is being, is, is exactly what we're seeing here is, is everyone's being sort of made to feel guilty for wanting to have things to want to have connection. Right. And, and, and equity should be our endpoint. And equity and fairness and the reduction of categories should be our endpoint. And it does, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to bring up this point I made earlier, but it just feels like a kind of chappy GBT algorithm that's just gone malfunctioned and everyone's gone equity crazed and that they don't care how much stuff that they destroy along the way because we have to all seem to be fitting in with the, the fairness um, mantras from the collective. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that that like equity Tourette's or whatever you want to think of it. <laughs> but it's, it's really interesting how it's we've shifted in such a short period of time. Like just a, when I mean, like when my daughters were in school, what what the concern was 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 you'd always hear this phrase: you don't want to teach to the lowest common denominator. You want to help people to you know you want education to bring out the best in each child or whatever. This is just the things that we would hear and people would talk about. And now we've gone complete 180 from that where we do we definitely want to teach to the low we don't say it that way we talk about equity we want to talk about bringing everybody down and equalizing and not giving anybody unfair advantages and and that means that's like this harrison bergeron thing where we're going to cut off you know anything that makes a person excel and handicap them and and then we're gonna yeah tie that to all kinds of guilt and Sorry, I was going to say, do you think if our society or our culture, we had better ways of dealing with equity, we would have be in this mess? If we could sort of say, nah, look at all the bad things that could come from equity, why equity isn't, isn't the vision that we want? 
Would we, if we could deal with that head on, would, would we have gotten into this mess? I don't know. I think the problem is the we. I think that is the problem because as as you try to centralize and central and 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 um, expand to cover the most broad population, you're you lose humanity. I mean, it's just like you can look at the success of a big school versus a small school and, and how it works with its kids, or you can work. I don't know. That's that's what I think we're trying to do. Too much management. It's too much human resources management, and that's what we've we've got yeah. this technocratic craze for administering to the people and so it's this this collective yeah. mindset is at odds with what it means to be an individual by ian, by nature ian mcgilchrist you know have you guys been listening to any of ian mcgilchrist or he's like the, the the neuroscientist who talks about the left left brain right brain and he's brought this back i know it was quite cold psychology to talk about left brain and right brain but he really talks about how we're not going to do it justice here how the different hemispheres do have different functions but that We've we've basically become so left brain, which is all about administration. He says the culture has just been become our universities are full of administrators administering everything. And he's and he talks about, I think, in the same way Camille Paglia talks about different epochs and empires that that sort of got overwhelmed at the end towards the end of their empires with administrators because we had so much stuff. We had such a rich, diverse kind of society that. For some reason, people started to kind of close off and this needs to be managed and we need to cut off the ends here and we need to shape this into something, you know, it almost went too far out. And now it's just we just need admin. <laughs> Sounds like the makings of a great comedic novel or yeah. <laughs> brilliant. But and I, I just want to point out there's always somebody, though, making the decisions. Right. There's like you have always there's always like there's an elite that there's always somebody that this other stuff doesn't apply to. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like they're going to be allowed to have their own babies. They're going to be allowed to, <laughs> to do the thing it is that the rest of us, you know, we need to have our legs chopped off, but they get to go, go to the dance. You the know? ones who get the steak while we have the bugs. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like even, even like Andrew Doyle, when he talks about the puritanical community for the, uh, what was it? The, uh, the Salem witch trials, like the, the kids that are accusing people of being witches, as soon as the witch that was being accused was like one of the one of like the high, you know, I don't know what you call it, one of the one of the real top puritanical kind of like members of church's wife, he'd go, no, I think you're wrong. I think I think you might be wrong there. And then somehow that would everyone would just go, yeah, I think they were wrong there. But she, the, the, poor, <laughs> the poor the poor wife over there, the wife of the poor man over there, we're going to we're going to head for them instead. For some reason, that makes me think of the show Cops. Or the show Cops, bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? And I remember watching that. I don't know what I was in my twenties or something. I was always like, "How come they never let like, raid a Beverly Hills mansion?" You know, <laughs> there's some people doing cocaine in those mansions. You know, like like why do they never? Like I'm sure there's some illicit activity going on in those mansions. Like it's it's always like yeah. these like people have barely anything like living in a trailer park and their car is broken down and they have no child care and I don't know, yeah. just like that is really interesting that's so that's uh -huh. such a good observation wow wow what a great conversation you guys this I feel like we could go for another hour but we need to go because Jennifer's got her group but Jennifer will you tell us your I mean sorry not Jennifer Jenny <laughs> yes <laughs> Jenny, tell us the name of your sub stack because it's really good. 
Thank you. It's saving culture from itself. Um, it's then the URL is just my name, which is Jenny E. Holland. Well, I'll put a link under the video once I get the after we do the live and I get it edited. So we'll put it up. Jenny's very Thank engaged you so much. for readers too. So if you yeah. Engaged. Yeah, come on over. Yeah, Jenny, thank you for being here. It's so great to have you join us. I hope you do so it again happy sometime. You asked me. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm delighted to be asked. So awesome. Hey. Well, thank Jenny. you all. Thanks, Thanks to everybody Steph. who joined us in the chat. Thanks, too. everyone. And remember, solidgroundsupport.com. Yeah, we hope to see y'all at groups.